should write a book, Fry. People need to know about the can eat more. I'm getting this book on UFOs. Did you know they're real? But there's a huge comic conspiracy to cover it up. Oh, that's just a paranoid fantasy. I want to be a book. You can pick me up, flip through my pages, make sure nobody drew wieners in me. Anything for love. My name is Kevin. <laughs> my name is Kevin, and I'm joined as always by my co-host Benedict, Little Bunny Foo Foo's big bad nephew. And in addition, this week we are joined by special guest X of the Utah Outcast, the first person to ever successfully sue the Wiggles to demand that they treat adult concert attendants the same as they do children. God damn it. Gentlemen, fruit salad is yummy. I don't care what you say. <laughs> What's your ideal sausage? Oof. Uh, there are many okay, choices well, out I, there, and I will say hot dogs are included. Any style, and it doesn't have to be a sausage in a casing. It can be sausage oh, in or Jesus. outside of a casing. Okay. No, it, ha- it has to have a casing. Are you kidding me? It's, it's yeah. wrong. It's, sausage can be without a casing. I, you never I, had breakfast sausage? I made it this morning. I'm just being a dick. Um, <laughs> I, I, anything with a lot of pork and a lot of garlic, I'm good. Mm-hmm. So like a, a Toulouse sausage of sorts then? That's, uh, yeah, that's like a good the... andouille. Or, yeah, you know. I love an andouille. Um, I'm Served gonna... with curry ketchup, though. God of damn it, course. you have to have curry yeah. ketchup. Of course. <laughs> um, I'm going to go... Okay, I'm going to give a cased option and an uncased option, okay? Okay. So yeah. my cased option is a, a classic Irish banger. Love a, love a classic Irish banger. Um, Don't tell your wife so... you said that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Never. And then my my uncased option is the 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 wonderful Induja sausage, which is a, a spicy Italian. Uh, oh, I thought it was gonna be something Spanish. You and your no Spanish no obsession. no 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 N D U J A is a it's a spicy ah, sausage. In spread my in is... my mind, it was written more like the Spanish, even though that's a language mm. I don't know or speak or understand or yeah. know how they write things. That's how I thought of it. So that's I'm a smart guy too. Well, you see, they use letters. Yeah, and they... that's right. That's right. <laughs> Mostly the same letters we do. Mostly, for the most part. Uh, for me, I got to say, simple, simple, but I love it. The Johnsonville Bratwurst. It's an American sausage, but goddamn, those things are good. They just, they nailed it. And I don't know, I, I, I can't find anything that meets that hankering I have for a sausage. When I think of a sausage, it's a Johnsonville Brat. This episode brought to you by Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> can can people sue us for pretending to be sponsored by them? I presume they can. If we, if we carried through with the joke and pretended right. we were actually sponsored, yeah, yeah, they probably could. Well, and if you did something damaging, potentially yeah. they could get you for what uh, what slander because it's spoken, not written. Yeah, yeah something like, something along those lines. There's probably a number of different things they could do, uh, but uh, you know, we're not actually sponsored by any sausage companies, but <laughs> I am willing. I am willing. Yeah. Sausage sponsors only. That's the only one. It's, in my, it's definitely in my top tier of potential sponsors. <laughs> Sausage companies, hit us yep. up. We're on Twitter. Yep. Find us. Anyways, gentlemen, you two probably know, but many of the listeners, well, they probably do, but maybe there's one or two who don't, know what it is that we do here on this program. And them, I would say that we here, this place, this is where we go deep. And some might say we go deep, deep, deep. To plumb the depths of right-wing thought by reviewing a chapter from a work of conservative nonfiction, and in between, taking a look at other examples of the right doing their best to make America hate again. Benedict, can you start us off? Do you have a hot take for us this week? No. <laughs> <laughs> you told me. You told me 20 minutes ago you were prepared. You fucking I liar. It was a lie. <laughs> I'm so disappointed um, in you. I know, I know. Uh, plants should be less hard to keep alive. That's my okay. hot take. I kill, okay. I kill plants at an alarming mm-hmm. rate. Um, Benedict, also, I'm give you this note on the air. We went from a high, a high of last week, <laughs> you doing above and beyond what I expect from you, to look, a, a new low, a new look, low on this program. Look, would it be 
this show without me <laughs> fucking up every other week. No, it wouldn't. And the listeners love it. They know. They know I'm just going to I'm going to set you up. I'm Charlie Brown with the football. They know you're Charlie Brown with the football. They know I'm going to pull that football away as soon as you Benedict, believe in me. Charlie Brown wasn't holding the football, you fucking said, dick. That's why I said you're Charlie Brown with the football. I updated my reference because I'm a, an American uh-huh. citizen now. I understand these things. <laughs> Oh, God you don't have it. to I'm be American to understand days. Charles Schultz's humor. Come on. <laughs> well, Benedict. Yeah. Since you shit the bed, I'll go. I did. Uh, <laughs> my hot take this week: uh, the the band Greta Van Fleet, who I mm. mentioned, mm. I think a couple episodes ago, uh, brought them up because I I uh, I don't know if I recommended their album or if I just brought up something about albums um, that I had listened to their most recent album and then I had thought I, I had unclear thoughts i didn't know how i uh-huh. felt about it at the time i have listened to that album three times in the last two weeks start to finish and i am now convinced more than ever that greta van fleet are not only incredibly talented they're fucking musical geniuses because they've accomplished that thing that led zeppelin did and everyone accuses them of copying led zeppelin but god damn it they are not copying led zeppelin they just have the same sound and are that fucking good It's the sort of thing, when I heard Greta Van Fleet for the first time, I thought, what the fuck, is this a Zeppelin song I never heard? Because they capture that ethereal, everything is a tale of a battle between uh, Norse gods feel that so many Zeppelin albums have. And I I just think it's amazing. I have a note for you. Mm -hmm. Your hot takes... You get all high and mighty about me not having a hot take ready. Your hot takes, you said the same thing with the same intonation. Shut up. Stop interrupting me. You said the same thing that you just said off the air to me last week with the same intonation. And then, straight after the show. I listened to the album another time between then and now. Straight after the show, you tweeted. I am convinced that Greta Van Fleet are, are musical geniuses. God damn it. Yes, so, I am. I'm putting this message any, out on multiple any platforms. that follow us on Twitter, you, sir, are double dipping. <laughs> you are you are reusing and recycling the same content. And your hot do you have any idea how often I tweet out something I have always. said on this show? No, but you tweeted first, and now you're using it as a hot take as if you were prepared. <laughs> Fuck off. Hey, all the comedians start the, start out trying their humor somewhere else before they <laughs> exactly. bring it to their show. That's true. That's exactly. true. But it's normally funnier the second time. Got to have yeah. a tight five before you bring it in. Anyways, why don't we move on? Hey, if if you like uh, Greta Van Fleet, I want you to check out The Deer Hunter, mm. uh, Volume 4 specifically. Actually, Act 4. Uh, great, fantastic fucking album. I, awesome. I highly suggest I'll, that. I'll one. be sure to check that out. Well, I mean... Greta, uh, Greta Van Fleet's been blowing me away. That new album came out early last year, I think, sometime, and I just, I didn't know how to feel at first, and then it just, it just hit me and took me away, and it's, I, I've been all about it, been totally all about it. Uh, but anyways, why don't we move on, do some housekeeping. First off, remember to rate and review us on the iTunes and the places on the internets where you can do that sort of thing. You know where to do it. Follow us on the social medias at NYGBCPod on Twitter and Benedict. And X, I have an announcement today. Mm. This mm. is our 100th episode. Look at that. What? Confetti is now falling from the sky. There are <laughs> flash bulbs going off and strobe lights. And, and it's sure. it's an amazing accomplishment that we hit 100 episodes, even though uh, anyone who has listened to all of our episodes will now go and tell me on Twitter that, oh, you know, Kevin, a bunch of those episodes are just edited together clips you did from your previous podcast <laughs> when you were doing the book review before you decided to do this show. And to you, I say... Yes, you are correct, but also go fuck yourself. You say, wow, you're a bit sensitive about that one. <laughs> hey, we did the work. I didn't say we did the work since we started yeah. the show. I'm just saying we did the work. The um, the more surprising thing, honestly, for anyone that goes back and listens to all those shows is that I am still here, <laughs> despite the, the amount of complaining that I do on the every show. The fact that you haven't stormed about... out by now, yeah, is honestly the, oh. the biggest wonder. But, uh, <laughs> yes. Kyle, he's, he's followed me through multiple shows, and we're still doing them like 400 feet. God. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, an exciting milestone to hit. I'm very, I'm very glad to yeah, be I'm here, um, and we look Thank forward you. to the the next the next 100. So we're all excited for that. But updates: uh, we have a second patron only bonus coming out this month. We'll have that out uh, before the end of the month. 
uh, as soon as I can get Benedict to commit to a time to sit down and record it. Nice. And we have some new additions this month to our spooky near world, New World Order. Of course, we have one brand new patron joining this us this month, and that is Pause. Just pause. Just just cool. pa- just pause. It's pause. Pause. Pause and breathe, or just pa- no, P A P A W S. P A W S. Just pause. Yeah. But pause. Welcome to our New World Spooky World Order. Thank you very much. Pause for joy. And I don't know where we said it. Why don't we didn't X? You are now part of our new world spooky world order. <laughs> Benedict just loves that sound drop. And he, he it gets me every point. time. <laughs> so funny. God, Glenn Beck, what would we do without you? We also have one other addition to our spooky world, new world order this week. Uh, already a patron, uh, but shared about the show on Twitter. Of course, that's one of the ways to become a member of the spooky world, new world order. Taru to Cannon. Thank you very mm-hmm. much. You are now part of our. New World Spooky World Order. And of course, if you would like to join our Spooky World New World Order, you can be tweet about the show, post about us on social media, recommending it to others, send me a screenshot, tag us, whatever you want to do. Leave us a five-star review wherever you can and drop me a screenshot of that. Or become a patron, get my attention, something like that, and I'll, uh, I'll induct you, because we like having fun playing that here on the mm-hmm. show. But gentlemen, with all that out of the way, it is now time to get down to today's program... And I think we know what we're talking about today. You do. Well, anyways, I told you both already <laughs> off the show. But yeah. X, your program is a is a clue. Ugh. It's a clue to what we're talking <laughs> about today. Yeah, yeah. We are talking about Willard Cleon Skousen, better known as W. Cleon Skousen. Uh, Benedict, you, of course, already know about W. Cleon Skousen. X, had yeah. you ever heard of Mr. Skousen before I brought him up, I think, a couple weeks ago when I asked you to come up on the show? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I heard a little bit of stuff that, like, he did when he was the, uh, I believe he was the, was he the mayor? No, he was the police chief. Police chief, yes. Yeah, I, there, he's got a, he's got a long and storied history. I didn't know a ton about him because he was, I moved here in about 95 mm-hmm. was when I moved to the state. So he wasn't really talked about much then because he was already circling the drain. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> I mean, people like this, they're their legacy is long reaching up into the nowadays like uh like mike lee mm-hmm. <laughs> his progeny was one of the ones that did the mountain meadows massacre so i mean it's just oh, one of those shit. things where like you never ever they, they never leave <laughs> our politics and policing and all the other stuff out there That's part of the great. reason i wanted to have you on you know somebody with a connection to utah and the mormon communities mm-hmm. and stuff like that is because there is something that's I, I haven't been able to explain this and i don't know why and i i really want to find an answer to this why is there this connection between uh members of the lds church the mormons and this far-right batshit crazy conservatism what is the link there it doesn't seem obvious on its face beyond you know the oh you know they already believe crazy stuff why not believe more crazy stuff but i can't figure out what the more direct connection is here's here's the weird thing like the lds church for a long time was fairly progressive as far as religions go like they were they when they first started off they were all about the communism mm-hmm. i mean they they handed it up to to uh, joe smith of course but they were very much a let's share and share alike including spouses but um, <laughs> um it's it's hard to say they went through a hard turn like around the 50s like when this guy was a major player in the yeah. church that's when they wanted the clean cut uh the the no beards the uh, everybody needs to dress business like. You need to have the white co- the the white collar with the with the sleeves. You need to you need to conduct yourself as like a fine, upstanding American because they honestly had a problem fitting in in the rest of the world. So they kind of just had to take a dive into conservatism because that was the uh, predominant area where you had religious people. Yeah, and so that, they wanted to be like, hey, we're Christians just like these guys. You know? Yeah, that makes sense to me. And I tend to think, because since you bring up the 1950s and sort of taking that hard right turn, that yeah. what I sort of was leaning towards is that W. Cleon Skousen and a couple of his contemporaries might have been the driving force that sort of pushed a lot of Mormon, you know, groups of Mormons or individuals into this hard right anti-communism conspiracy mindset. Because he was... Oh, yeah, I should have said the, the global rise of, of communism was probably one of the... You know, yeah, it might, it might have something to do with it as well. You know, it, it might. But there must... You know, there's a reason why it's stuck in certain communities and not so much in others. But 
Why don't we learn a little bit about the man? Uh, Willard Cleon Skousen was born January 20th, 1913, in Raymond, Alberta, Canada. He was the second of nine children, born to, born to Royal Pratt Skousen and Margarita right. Bentley Skousen. Just honestly, some of these like turn of the century names, names yes. uh, are absolutely <laughs> like that. Is That's magnificent. I mean, come on. Yeah. I complain I, about honestly. It wouldn't surprise me. It wouldn't surprise me if some some one of these people was literally called magnificent. Like that's the kind of that's what we're dealing with here. Like, amazing. yeah, yeah. No uh, notes. But both of his parents. Had LDS family. LDS family. I knew named all of their kids the same first name, and they all went by no. their name. So that's a very common. No, thing. that's Why? awful. Explain that. Uh, because they they're so full of with their head up their ass that they like their kids to be called the but same it, as they so are, so know? like but like a lot of catholic like there's there's always a lot of marys in catholicism especially hey, in like hey, spanish hey, catholicism. Hey, hey, no, 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 no. i was raised I'm catholic saying, and that uh, is all right mary true, mary kevin calm true down but hurtful true but hurtful <laughs> calm down mary kevin it's okay um so but is it like that where it's like the first name is like an homage to something and then the the middle name is is just like their actual name or what's the what's the deal um, I would think that it has more to do with the fact that a lot of these guys believe that they're going to be gods in the afterlife, and so they think they have a powerful name, and they want to hand it off to their kids. Gotcha. Okay. That makes yeah, sense. Yeah. You know, well, and also, like... anybody anybody that has a name that starts off with the initial, middle, yes. and last like this, that's that's called out here in Utah the apostolic name because that's usually what you go by when you get a higher church calling. Oh, so that's mm. an actual thing. And that makes sense, yeah. actually, with a lot of the people that we've encountered who have been Mormons, um, have yep. that, that first initial and then middle name and then last name. A lot of them tend to do that, so I didn't I didn't know that was an actual thing. Yep, it, t- it tends to be a very common thing within the LDS church. They, they go by first initial, middle name, last name. Oh, wow, well, that's cool to know. But anyways, both of Cl- Skousen's parents were American citizens, but they had moved up there to Canada to this town called Raymond, which was founded by an LDS mining magnate named Jesse Knight. Uh, and he grew up there in Canada until he was about 10 when he moved to, Can- to California because his dad uh, was a supervisor on a paving crew that was doing the original Route 66. And then in 1923, he went down to the Mormon colony Colonia Juarez in Chihuahua, Mexico. I said that properly. Don't correct me, Benedict. Mm-hmm. Two years, uh, basically to stay with his grandmother. I think his, his grandmother was sick or something, so he went down there to take care of her. Uh, and there's some stories about him having a pretty wild youth down there in those couple of years when he was in Mexico. He was, like, um, working as a horse jockey and stuff like that at the time <laughs> uh, before finally returning to California, graduating high school, and being sent to Great Britain for his Mormon mission. So he lucked out oh, no. and got one of the good ones. <laughs> Did he? Well, you know, it was at least not as bad as uh, I've seen the some Book places. of Mormon musical. So I some can imagine places. how bad it could go, you know? Well, I mean, the the, the field was white you know, <laughs> yeah. in uh, yeah, that's true. In, yeah. Uh, in Great Britain at that time. Yeah, so, yeah. And Scandinavia. and <laughs> Very much so. So after returning, uh, he attended San Bernardino Valley Junior College. Go Wolverines. Uh, he married, that's the actual mascot. It's the Wolverines. <laughs> I looked it up. He married his wife, Jewel Pitcher, in 1936, with whom he had eight children. All these people, just tons of children. Uh, And then in 1940, he graduated from George Washington University Law School in Washington, D.C. And it's just one of those things that makes me think, with every profession, all these people, doctors, lawyers, it must have been so much easier to be a blank back then. Because knowing how this guy's mind works, it just, it couldn't have been tough. So his first job during law school, he was actually working for the FBI as a messenger at night while he was attending law school in D.C. And after graduation, he actually went on to become an FBI special agent. And FBI records that have been obtained show that basically he was just a clerk. He was doing a lot of clerical and administrative work, but that did not stop him from relying on his, you know, about 10-year stint as an FBI agent for the credibility that his work absolutely does not deserve. I mean, <laughs> a lot of the stuff I watch of him, he's just constantly talking about how he was in the FBI and using that to bolster utter horseshit that he's bringing up. Just total nonsense. There, there is a pipeline of uh, students from BYU into the FBI and the CIA. Well, he didn't go to BYU. He taught at BYU. No, no, I'm just saying BYU. that we have, we have a oh, okay. giant 
Mormons in federal service. That that's there's mm, a pipeline there. The white shirts. It's really easy to well, get. Well, and into also uniform. it's really easy for them to pass background tests too. So. Oh, you know that probably makes a lot of sense. You don't have to lie about having a joint when you're 16. That makes a lot yeah, of sense. Yeah, because your bishop knows about it already. <laughs> And in 1951, uh, he left his job at the FBI to go back to the promised land, Provo, Utah, and teach at Brigham Young (laughs) University, or BYU if you're nasty, where he taught until 1955. And then in 1956, as you mentioned earlier, X, he was hired by the mayor of Salt Lake City to be the police chief in the wake of a scandal in that department. And I couldn't figure out what that scandal was before he got there. Uh, and I, I didn't look all that hard. I sort of, if anybody knows, tell me, I'd be interested. But in 1960, Skousen himself was fired as the police chief of Salt Lake City by the new mayor, Jay Bracken Lee, after Skousen <laughs> raided a poker club where Lee was enjoying himself a game of cards. And, you know, he's a, a Skousen's an uptight dude. That's something you will see so much throughout his writing and his history and his work. He's just, the dude has a stick straight up his ass. <laughs> and it just it just highlights how wonderful Salt Lake City is compared to the rest of Utah. It is a very progressive town, like very mm-hmm. gay friendly, very very progressive in a lot of stuff they want to do. Even though it's the headquarters of the LDS Church, yeah. And even though <laughs> it's right there in the middle of downtown with Temple Square. Well, is is your Boy, current just... mayor in Salt Lake City Mormon? Uh, I I honestly don't know. Yeah, because I, I, I was would, looking into I, it because when I was looking into this part of the story, Jay Bracken Lee, everywhere I found, he was quoted, or I think it was just like his Wikipedia page, it called him the most recent of the only three non-LDS mayors of Salt Lake City. Which, yeah, currently it's Erin Mindenhall, and I'm trying to remember if she is or not. Well, it really doesn't matter because she, if she is, she's a good example of being Mormon. Yeah. <laughs> <If> not, <laughs> She's one of the good oh, God, ones, right? She's almost the same age as me. God damn. What have I done? <laughs> you know. So um, the Skousen supporters, and of course he had some, were not entirely happy with his firing for break, basically for breaking up this card game. Let's be honest. That's basically, and, and, you know, Lee was no fan of Skousen. Uh, I think be- before uh, Lee left office he's, himself, he said of Skousen that despite being an anti-communist, he, quote, ran the police department in exactly the same manner as the communists in Russia operate their government. <laughs> I mean, I love it. it makes a lot of sense. It's, it's absolutely into It's horseshoe theory at its at its finest, right there. It's but it's the, a very weird example of horseshoe theory. Like yeah. everyone's a, it's very John Birch <laughs> horseshoe yes. theory, well, and that you just think it, everyone it, else is a communist. It's fantastic to me that there's this huge differentiation that people don't seem to have, where it's like you're talking about Stalinism, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, not specifically <laughs> communism. Stalinism. The yes. guy was uh, an authoritarian asshole. You, hey, uh, it's almost exactly like what happened there. You so. should have read Glenn Beck's book with us. Oh, it God. was full of that shit. <laughs> it oh, like, it no. is. The, I I got the PDF for it somehow, and I started reading it, and I'm just like, oh God, we <sighs> need to do this on the show, and we never got around to it because. I honestly value my sanity. (laughs) We don't. (laughs) My my sanity walked out the door with my conscience like two years ago. Everything's communism. Yep. That's what we get in every book we read. But Skousen supporters were not so happy. (laughs) Um, They protested his firing by swarming a city council meeting and uh, planting burning crosses on uh, Jay Bracken Lee's lawn. It should be noted, generally not the thing the good guys do. Uh, hey, I'm just in, waiting for the anti-vaxxers to do that next. That's, yeah. That's the next step. <laughs> yeah. In 1967, after a few years of putzing around, doing a whole lot of, eh, not a ton. I mean, he had some stuff he did during the time. He edited a magazine for cops. It was called Law and Order. It might have been sort of like a journal-ish type thing. I couldn't quite tell what it was. Dun, dun. <laughs> I should have had the soundbite ready to go. <laughs> uh, but he went back to teach at BYU. In 1967, this time in the Religious Studies Department, before I think he was teaching, uh, like, politics or something like that. And this time he was hired by a guy named Ernest L. Wilkerson, or Wilkinson, uh, who was the president of BYU at the time, known basically for trying to purge anyone to the left of Francisco Franco from the (laughs) BYU staff. Not particularly loved by the professors he was presiding over at the time, and... Uh, they didn't seem to very much like the hiring of Skousen. A lot of these other professors in the religious studies department, uh, it actually led to many of the professors protesting his appointment in the religious studies department. And he faced some feedback uh, by Wilkinson's successor, Dallin H. Doakes, or Oaks, um, but uh, Skousen didn't really seem to care about that. And he just sort of kept teaching his combined 
anti-communist Mormonism mashup until he retired in 1978. And apparently, this is the weird thing, he taught Mitt Romney while Romney was attending BYU. And Do you the, mean W. Mitt Romney, by any I, chance? I, I mean the Mitt Romney. Uh-huh. Uh, does, I don't know. His does first Mitt have name, another name? What is Mitt's first yeah, name? It's, it's Willard. It's Willard Mitt Oh, Romney. God damn it. There but he's go. not doing the W, though. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. And that's probably because Mitt spent a lot of time trying to hide how Mormon he actually is <laughs> during the campaign. Benedict, you, I mean, you were in the UK at the time, and I don't know if you were paying particular attention to the uh, 2012 election cycle when Romney was in it. And oh, well, I think I was, because I hate myself. <laughs> yeah, it was sort of a major thing at the time that Romney never really talked about his Mormonism, but it was always hanging over his head. And there was a particular interview that he ran into by with a guy in Iowa uh, whose name is, what is this guy's name, Jan Mickelson on Iowa Talk Radio in 2011. Apparently, Talkers Magazine called this guy the Rush Limbaugh of Iowa, which is not the compliment (laughs) I think they intended it to be. Uh, But so, during this interview, Skousen came up. And this is also, for anyone who remembers, this is the interview that there was video of Romney getting pissed and walking out of because the host kept asking him about Mormonism. So that's this interview, and I have the clip of it for you right here. And hopefully making progress. You and I share uh, a common affection for the late Cleon Skousen. Mm, I yeah. can, uh, he, 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 apparently, last time I talked to you, you said he was one of your instructors at school. Exactly. Uh, he is also uh, was uh, one of my instructors v- uh, via a book he wrote on the making of America, hmm. which is a wonderful commentary on the U.S. Constitution. How it was made. It, it's it's not it's not a wonderful commentary it's at, also at not all. How instruction works? Like <laughs> no. oh yeah, he was one of my instructors because I uh, read some words. Yeah yeah and, no, uh, it's not. He combines the notes uh, Madison's notes uh, with the every. Every codicil in the uh, the Constitution and tells you exactly what original intent is. Isn't that something? I know that, or that I have not read, and that's worth reading. It is certainly. So, the look. I, I know we're just doing audio, but I wish the two of you could see the look on Romney's face first when Skousen is brought up, because Romney knows exactly how batshit and how toxic Skousen is. Skousen was. <laughs> does not want his name to be brought up in relation to him or his campaign. He does not want that. The look on his face is just pure gulp. That's all I can see. And he is trying to get out of this conversation about... It goes on for another minute, basically, talking about Skousen. Um, and Romney tries to change the topic, uh, but just is not able to get out of it. So, you know, relevant, obviously, to the modern day. And back then, you know, we had Glenn Beck, who was... that. Glenn Beck's heyday, 2010, 2011. Glenn Beck is the star at that time. And we know, uh, of course... Chalkboard, I remember. Yes, Glenn Beck is another <laughs> huge W. Cleon Skousen fan. We'll talk a little bit about that later on. But the book that I mentioned happens to be one of the few of Skousen's works that I don't actually own. So I haven't read it. Uh, I own three of Skousen's books. The Naked Communist, The Naked <laughs> Capitalist, and The 5,000-Year Leap. But from a summary of it on the website wcleonskousen.com, quote, Volume 1 introduces the Founding Fathers, their backgrounds, and their struggles to help the new country establish itself under the Articles of Confederation. The failures of the Articles to sustain George Washington's troops during the War for Independence, as well as the rest of the nation during the years immediately afterwards, is well explained. W. Cleon Skousen describes the rationale and crises that led the Founders to rethink good government and construct the Constitution based on natural law and the fundamental principles of individual unalienable rights. Included is a discussion on prosperity economics written for the layman, showing the link between economic freedom and all other freedoms. Skipping down a little bit. Skousen briefly quotes the Founders' own writings. He provides dissenting discussion to show how they wrestled over pertinent issues, their conflicting concerns, and how they arrived at the conclusions that they did. Skousen shows how these ideas were talked out until the wisdom of each point was finally agreed upon and inserted into the Constitution. Only on three main issues were the founders sharply divided and forced into a compromise. So, is that true? That no, that's not true at all. Yeah, there, there, there were like 10 amendments before they even finished the Constitution. Yeah. So that's not, yeah. But this whole thing, the reason why I bring that up is it's so relevant to Skousen and I think for a lot of the people who follow in his intellectual mold to imagine that there is a block of people you can call the founders 
and that that block of people agreed and they were on drunk anything. all the time <laughs> uh, like literally all the time like sweating stinky drunk like, yes yes i mean it was what uh, pennsylvania hot in the middle of of the summer yeah, yeah they're, summer, they're not gonna be having like, not to mention time. riddled with syphilis and yeah of course there's a lot all we're saying is there's dysentery a lot, and you know a lot of taint <laughs> not clean water on. so they drank alcohol like that that is Look, the people hey, that wrote our constitution i'm not against that aspect of it i'm no, not saying no i just think we should acknowledge that it was written absolutely <laughs> wasted that's all like, everyone has yes. a great idea Look, i'll show you one of these any one of these conservative assholes that wants to go back to like the originalist document about this whole thing, they don't ever want to do that with all of the like no. amendments that were made to the Constitution. It doesn't because, work that way. Because, you know, keep right to keep and bear arms, you know, and have a well regulated militia, you know, that kind of takes away from the NRA standpoint for quite a quite a while, man. Yeah. I mean, so many things. The idea of freedom of speech that, that many on the far right push today is nothing like what what it meant at the time of the founders. You just can't make that. We have to acknowledge that times have changed, that we recognize that these things have to change with them, or else it's it's just utter horseshit. Yeah, it's been but over I'm 200 al- years. We change yeah. as a people. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's just nuts. But I'm also really mad because when I was looking this up, I found that uh, there's apparently a scathing article of some sort written by Ezra Taft Benson's grandson, Scott Benson, who apparently is no longer Mormon because he's only using two names there, uh, about (laughs) Skousen. But everywhere that I found linking to it, all the links were dead. So if anyone out there can find that, uh, send it over to me. I'd love to read it. But as far as his professional career, that really ends with his teaching. He didn't hold any real jobs after that, although he did live a lot longer. He didn't die until 2006. Um, and although I think a lot of people most closely associate Skousen with the John Birch Society, who we've talked about a ton on our show, and he's definitely closely associated. He gave speeches at events, and he was friends with Robert Welch, the founder, and other high-profile Birchers. He was never actually an official member. And that makes me wonder if he realized that JBS was too toxic <laughs> even for him to be a part of, which is a weird thing, because you put them two on a scale, and it's just about even as far as I'm concerned. But boy, did he not use their stuff in anything that he talked about or wrote? You know? Oh God, it's just con- well. I mean, he was very closely associated. He he wrote in the uh, JBS magazine, American Opinion. He regularly published in there. He was a member of the JBS Speakers Bureau, uh, and at one point he wrote a pamphlet entitled "The Communist Attack on the John Birch Society." <laughs> so, you know, of course. Uh, but he also, in around this time period, and this is before, actually, while he was still uh, teaching at BYU, he started this organization known as the Freeman Institute, which later changed its name to the less obviously batshit crazy National Center for Constitutional Studies. Uh, and that still exists to this very day. It's still around. And funnily enough, this organization, uh, the Freeman Institute, claimed that when the Scows was fired as SLPD chief, he had eliminated the sources of crime in the city. And then as soon as he was <laughs> Sorry, fired... did you just call him the Scows? Yes, I did. I just, yes, I, mean, I did. Okay, I, I feel like we need Benedict, to take, you know take a the second relationship, to that. You know the relationship I have with these people that we look at. Uh, so but they cl- he, he got rid of all people's suffering. He got rid of yeah, poverty. Yes. Did, is, did is I that stutter? What, is that what he did? Okay. okay. Yes, the sources just, of crime. The sources sure that, yeah. of crime were gone. And as soon as he was fired, crime rose 22% the next year. As soon. because he <laughs> Oh, good, that asshole's gone. Let's crime again. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> Probably there were more card games going on the next year, if I had to guess. But there's a I sort want people of... to remember. I want people to remember that Brigham Young had his own distillery. I just yes. want people to remember that. So. <laughs> <laughs> there's this sort of quasi-cult following to Skousen, sort of like we've seen with other crypto-fascist anti-communists, that I've, I've compared in the past... Uh, to sort of, uh, you know, fuck, I'm blanking on the Scientology guy. I don't know why. Uh, somebody's got it, right? L. Who's Ron the founder Hubbard. of Science? L. Ron Hubbard, right? Sort of in that Lafayette? Mold. Lafayette. <laughs> but, you know, sort of like that, and similar to Robert Welch, and even Glenn Beck a little bit in his heyday around, you know, 2010, 2011-ish, when he was sort of his own cult star and went on a, you know, stadium tour and all that shit. People looked at Skousen in a similar way, although on a smaller scale, and they come up with these bullshit lies to back up his utterly failed career in most areas that are just obvious nonsense, like that he got rid of all the sources of crime and whatnot. Um, 
And the NCCS, as it's now known, the Freeman Institute, uh, is supposedly a political or historical organization. I can't exactly figure out what they think that they're doing. Um, although it also teaches that the founding of the United States was a divine miracle, and as such, uh, is based on two major pillars, that the understanding, the divine guidance that has allowed the United States to thrive is important, and uh, rejecting what is viewed as sinful deviations of the modern U.S. federal government from the divine mold. Those are some of the sort of important things that they look at. It's also the organization that published a good number of Skousen's books and writings throughout the years, including, most notably, The Making of America, that one we talked about a little, little bit ago, and The 5,000-Year Leap, both of which were pimped by our boy, Glenn Beck, including right here. America, you have a choice to make. Many of you have already decided, and you're taking the first steps. You've educated yourself. You have read more books than you probably have read in your whole life. I in doubt any of Glenn's years, audience did. You've learned history that you didn't know. <laughs> you've read books like The 5,000 Year Leap, a book that woke me up, and the book that the left has attacked <laughs> over and over and over again. I'm sorry, not the book. Sorry, did he say the five year leap? Or did it just skip? No, for no, me? he said the 5,000 year leap. It might have skipped for you. But then he okay. brings up there. That they, they okay. haven't attacked the book. Of course they haven't attacked the book, because how could they attack this book? This book is so good. They couldn't attack the book. They've attacked its author, who, who is batshit crazy. And he goes on to say, I, I don't care about the author. He fucking cares about the author. He fucking loves W. Cleon Skousen. Uh, but this Look, book, I, I care about authors whenever I read books. I mean, <laughs> yeah, there's there's a reason yeah. I have a hard time going back to read H.P. Lovecraft, you know? <laughs> Especially when you look at what this book, The 5,000 Year Leap, actually is. This book is, it's titled The 5,000 Year Leap, Principles of Freedom 101. It is a set of what he calls the 28 principles that he claims to have discerned from the Constitution and the writings of the Founding Fathers of things that must be understood and perpetuated by every people who desire peace, prosperity, and freedom. And that is me reading the direct quote off of the back of the book. That is what this claims to be, what it purports to be. And he doesn't claim that the Founding Fathers said this. He claims that he discerned this from the Founding Fathers. And I'll tell you, basically, it's just a lazy and pathetic book of pithy slogans based on half-truths and plain old bullshit masquerading as intellectualism. Like, for example, the fourth principle, without religion, the government of a free people cannot be maintained. That's just regular <laughs> old Christian nationalism that we're all used to. And the twelfth principle... The United States of America shall be a republic, not a democracy. <laughs> so that explains why everybody in 2008 and 2009, when Glenn Beck was promoting this goddamn thing, is when they were starting to do the whole, no, no, we're not a democracy, we're a republic. Well, Benedict and I have heard that. the resurgence of that, though. Definitely. Definitely, I think, the resurgence. That definitely came from Glenn Beck, but that has been a JBS anti-communist talking point for a long time. Oh, for sure, yeah. We've run across it in our current patron-only reading of None Dare Call It Conspiracy by Gary Allen and Larry Abraham, who are two other John Burke Society writers who basically just copied Cleon Skousen's career, if I'm going to be honest about it. It's basically all they did. Um but from, I believe this is from the 14th principle, um, here's a, a short little passage for you from there. Caring for the poor without violating property rights. Benedict, you're going to get some, some tinglies from this one. Okay, but of course, the nagging question still remains. <clears throat> if it corrupts a society for the government to take care of the poor by violating the principle of property rights, who will take care of the poor? The answer of those who built America seems to be anybody but the federal government. Benedict, mm. you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know where we've heard that before. <laughs> Directly <laughs> be Glenn. from Glenn Beck. Gotta be Glenn. But in 1970, uh, and you know, that book, uh, The 5,000 Year Leap, he wrote, yep. I don't remember what year that one came out. I think 80s or 90s. I don't remember off the top of my head, and I don't have it written down. Uh, but in 1970, Skousen wrote a pamphlet entitled The Communist Attack on the Mormons. Anybody want to take a guess as to what that one was about? <laughs> In 1970? Does anybody know what the Mormons might have been attacked for in 1970 by the communists? <laughs> uh, it was the black the people fact, thing. Yeah, was, I was going to say they the didn't black. let their black members have uh, priesthood at that time. Yeah, yeah that, that was what it was. And that's not <laughs> entirely surprising, given that we know that the one of the John Birch Society's most obvious and apparent 
major flaws uh, was their opposition to civil rights and basically just screaming that any attempt to get rights for anyone other than the white people was common. Well, that's... that that was in line with the, the National Review's uh, <laughs> mainstream <laughs> conservatism, so and maybe it I, wasn't an obvious I, flaw. I have said many times that there is no daylight between mainstream conservatism and uh, the John Birch Society as much as many people might try to pretend that it is so. I think especially that's obvious these days when basically the John Birch Society stuff is like it's like grape juice compared to the hard liquor that they're drinking over there on the on the MAGA front I don't know I don't know how to, else to compare it to than something like that it's just it's weak it's weak tea compared to the stuff they're on now yeah but, but it's gonna take a little bit longer for you know MAGA Trumpism to be in the Supreme Court we'd have the John Birch people <laughs> in there right now but yes. you know Will be yes. unto us if they ever make it to the highest court. <laughs> it's going to take them, I don't know, five, ten years to get a little more of that. Yeah. Oh, God, that's depressing. Uh, but in 1979, the first presidency, which as I understand is like the leadership of uh, the Mormon church, issued that's a directive. The, uh, that's the one step below the actual, um, uh, the prophet of the church. Okay, so it's like, like so the, when you the said Dallin Oaks er, When you said Dallin Oaks earlier, that is uh-huh. the guy that's currently the first presidency to okay. the prophet of the church. Okay, so the first presidency in 1979 issued a directive that Skousen and his events were not to be promoted by LDS wards, which, again, is just another sign of, uh, even they realized how toxic this guy is <laughs> and how bad such so much of his bullshit is. But in 1981, the first year of Reagan's presidency, he was asked to be a charter member of the far-right think tank the Council for National Policy, Founded by Tim LaHaye, the writer of the Left Behind books. Which is oh, just no. <laughs> a perfect place for Skousen, if we're going to be honest about it. And unsurprisingly, Skousen believed a bunch of the same things that we expect and hear often from the far right. And it's fair to say he was one of the main architects of a certain brand of far right ideology in the rabid anti-communist right. And Benedict, I mentioned to you, um, uh, I don't remember what episode it was, a couple ago. My reading out of the uh, blue book of the John Birch Society, yeah, that whole thing about you know uh, if he had written the blue book in 1970 something, then he would have talked about how is actually a hierarchical plan. It wasn't just the communists; there were these other people above the communists. Skousen is the guy who came up with that. That's all from Skousen, and we'll talk oh, about so that. He's he's the originator of the globalists. <laughs> yes. Abs- well, <laughs> well uh, the, the three not entirely. No, He's well. the origination of the second variation of the globalist meta-conspiracy. He yeah. developed well, I mean, the globalist meta You can always point to, like, uh, Protocols of the Elders of Zion before Yeah, him. and, then, and yes. then Gary Allen and Larry Abraham, and, as, and, and as we will, know from our Will Patreon it surprise episodes. you to learn that the Protocols are involved in this story I'm about to tell you? <laughs> Absolutely fucking not. You said John no. Birch earlier. That's shortcut. Yeah, That's no, shorthand. No, it's, it's there. It's all there. <laughs> But, you know, as far as his ideology, right, he was opposed to basically the existence of all federal agencies and opposed the creation of OSHA, the EPA, FEMA, all those sorts of stuff. He wanted to repeal the minimum wage, eliminate unions, nullify anti-discrimination laws, sell off public lands and national parks, end the direct election of senators, eliminate the income tax and the estate tax, remove the walls separating church and state, and, of course, he wanted to end the federal reserve system. What else would he want to do? This is their bread and butter. And he agreed with John Birch Society founder Robert Welch that Dwight Eisenhower was, in fact, a communist agent, as I'm sure all of us today now, we all know about Eisenhower. (laughs) He believed that the Rockefeller family and Wall Street had conspired to elect Jimmy Carter uh, with a cabal of bankers like the Rockefellers and J.P. Morgan Uh. conspiring to create a one-world government. Uh, He believed that the Illuminati were real. Um, and in 1963, he came up with a list titled 1963 Communist Goals List, which is uh, a newer version of it, rewritten by one of his, uh, his uh, progeny, is in uh, my copy of the name Naked Communist, uh, and was apparently, of course, as is so often, read into the congressional record, record some wacko or another, that they all point to as some sort of proof about how this must be real, because it's in the congressional record, and... Of course, we know that anyone can read anything in the congressional record as long as they're an elected representative, and a lot of crazy people manage to get elected. But <laughs> a couple of those are sort of fun, uh, sort of little fun things. Uh, from the There are 45 of them, of these uh, alleged communist goals that, again, and this goes along with Skouten's career, he claimed to have discerned these things from what the communists are doing today. That's how he knew about these communist goals. Um, 
one of them, for example. Uh, uh, number 13 is do away with all loyalty oaths. So that implies heavily that he thought that loyalty oaths should have kept to be a thing in 1963. Not all that surprising. Uh, number 17, get control of the schools. Use them as transmission <laughs> belts for socialism and current communist propaganda. Soften the curriculum. Get control of teachers associations. Put the party line in textbooks. Followed by number 18, which I think is uh, evidence of how he just wanted to inflate his numbers. Gain control of all student newspapers. Okay. So if you already have control of the schools, don't you have control of the student newspapers? It just feels to me like no. you're trying to pad no, your numbers. That's why the free ideas come in. The, <laughs> that nice fourth estate that you have. The school newspapers. Yeah, we know how the school newspapers across this country are really scathing. <laughs> it, it, it's where so much of the political activity is developed in this country. Today we're having chicken nuggets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's the sort of fun stuff that is in that list of communist goals. But like I said, his biggest works, as far as we are concerned, and I think the most important of his works, are two books entitled The Naked Communist and The Naked Capitalist. And The Naked Communist was published, I believe, in 1958. I might be off by a year or two, but I think it was 1958. Yep, the naked, Yeah, The Naked Capitalist came out in 19... Ah, oh, damn it, I should have this pulled up. I think 1970. Once again, I really should have that sitting in front of me and open, but I, uh, I thought I had written it down. 1970, Naked Capitalist comes out. And that uh, is based off of something that, again, Benedict has come up for us on our program, Tragedy and Hope by Carol Quigley. Mm -hmm. And Tragedy and Hope is this dense, you know, <laughs> hundreds of page long book by this boring uh, Georgetown professor in the political science department about basically a bunch of stuff uh, that very rich people, mainly led by a guy that we've, we've talked about a number of times, Cecil Rhodes, uh, was putting <laughs> together because he wanted to increase the amount of British influence on the world. Oh, great. <laughs> sort of Cecil Rhodes' thing, right? And and so Rhodes, uh, I wouldn't call him exactly successful at this. There was an organization that he created. It didn't do much. It sort of folded. Uh, it doesn't really matter. But Quigley had wrote this, written this book based off of inside documents he had gotten access to. And a lot of scholars question the accuracy of what Quigley had actually written about, <laughs> too. Uh, but this is the bread and butter of, I would call it, uh, version two or second gen uh, John Birch Society meta conspiracy because originally we had the Naked Communist and the other books that were written in that mold and what they were about uh, were about how there's a secret communist conspiracy to take over the entire world and slave enslave humanity. You know, a couple years later, a lot of their predictions didn't come true and it was started to become pretty obvious that they were just raving about nonsense and you know the communists didn't actually control the world like they claimed was actually happening. So they had to come up with something else. And kind of like somehow, a cult. Kind of like a cult. Kind of like a cult, as you wouldn't be say, so surprised. I was going to say, fast forward to 2022, and they're saying the same shit, and none much. of it has come true, you know? Yes. Still happens to be the case. It's ridiculous. But the naked capitalist is the, is the evolution of the original conspiracy. And what the naked capitalist is about... Uh, I sort of brought this up, is how this conspiracy, it doesn't stop with the communists. There are people above the communists who are using the communists, who are convincing the world that they should embrace communism and socialism, which is really just communism because, you know, they, they don't want to deal with the intricacies of how that works and how there are gradations and variations <laughs> of things and all that sort of stuff. It's all the same. It's all just a road to communism. But there's, our, there's this hierarchy and these people above, these wealthy people who just, I mean... Ignore the fact that so many of them happen to be Jewish. Ignore that, that there's a lot I, of people who are I Jewish. was going to say, do they have space lasers? You know, uh, <laughs> Some of them might have space lasers. And yes, in fact, I believe, I, I don't remember, was it the Rothschilds that uh, she she said owned the space laser? It was either the I, Rothschilds. I so. It was the Rothschilds or it was another one of the, the large, famous Jewish families. Uh, you know, because Napoleon lost at Waterloo, and so they hurried back, yes. and they bought up as much stock as they could. I think just a week or two ago, I told Benedict about uh, the Nazi propaganda bill and the Rothschild share at Waterloo. You did, uh, I yeah. I think I said it on the, the show. The Nazi propaganda yeah. was great, yeah. 
Yes, yes, yes. But it, and it does really all go back to that. In the book, in uh, The Naked Co- Capitalist, one of his sources, one of uh, uh, Skousen's sources is, again, better like someone we've talked about on this show, the white Russian general Boris Brassel, who gave Henry Ford the original copy of the Protocols mm. of the Elders of Zion that Ford published. Oh, man. <laughs> it all so often goes back to anti-Semitism. It, it really does. And... We've been talking about, during our review of uh, None Dare Call It Conspiracy, my impression on reading it and my belief about what the JBS-style meta-conspiracy is meant to accomplish is to say to all the people who are out there saying, oh, it's the Jews that did it, it's the blacks that do it, it's the blank that do it, the Catholics, right? It's to say to all those people, no, 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 you guys are so wrong, you shouldn't be attacking those groups. It's all of those groups you hate working together against us. That's what it is. It enables them to say, all these people, they're all X, right? Ah, and if it's you... the meme. It's the meme where it's the, the guy that has the pile of cookies that's the rich guy who's uh-huh. telling the white dude that has the one cookie that, hey, those, th- those guys are trying to steal your cookie, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's exactly <laughs> what it is. Um, and they just happen to know, right, that they can pick up on, any, you know, these conspiracies are, um, they're, they're flexible, they're adaptable, right? The Protocols of the Elders of Zion stuff, it's been used, variations of that have been used against the Catholics, where they said similar things about the Catholics are doing this to us and our families and all this stuff. Uh, and so they, I think, I think somewhere along the the line, maybe by accident, maybe intentionally, realized we can sort of bring all these people together if we just find a way to say it's it's not just this one group, it's all these groups working together. And there's people up at the top that we don't know, but they they want to destroy you, and that's where it all comes back to. But Skousen, he died in 2006. Like I said, thank God, God, this guy. I was about to cheer, um, yay. <laughs> And he was eulogized on the Senate floor by Orrin Hatch. Should not be all that surprising. Of course he was. Of course he was. Of course he was. was. Uh, And he leaves behind a number of relatives who continue to do this same thing in the same mold and sort of just live off of Skousen's reputation, right? He has a relative named uh, Paul Skousen, I believe that's his son, who's the author of a book called The Naked Socialist. Because never, (laughs) ever let a good thing die. Uh, he has a nephew That's named just Jim. a control F, control H, yes. you know. <laughs> yes, it is. He has a nephew named Joel Skousen, who is a frequent guest on Alex Jones's InfoWars, uh, and a survivalist who wrote a book called Strategic Relocation, North American Guide to Safe Places, which, yes, is just about where to go run and hide to. It's It really is just out, about the that. book. Yes, it's a bug out book, and Alex Jones talks about it a lot on his show. You'll you'll hear him bring it up whenever Joel's on the show for whatever reason. And also, of course, Royal Skousen, who's currently a professor at BYU, and Mark Skousen, who is a quote-unquote libertarian economist. And we've talked about my disdain for that term. I do not accept it. I reject it in its entirety. But gentlemen, that's Free market all I economy. have. Yay. That's what I have. I do have for us to end off the program a short video of W. Cleon Skousen talking. And I'll say the main reason why I want to play this video is to make you all suffer through the boring, boring, boring man I had to listen to speak. So this is W. Cleon Skousen himself uh, speaking about his book, Miracle of America, and the particular portion he's going to be speaking about, he has titled, Freedom to Try, Buy, Sell, Fail. 40 bucks, he sounds exactly like every church speaking that I've gone to in in Utah. I'm sure. (laughs) The freedom to try. Mm Mm-hmm. Maintain the freedom to buy. Capital D is all, it's all under freedom. They're all different forms of freedom, you see. Freedom to try. Freedom to buy. Freedom to sell. And the freedom to fail. Oh, fail. He ruined his own rhythm there because he couldn't get it to rhyme. None of us want to fail, and that's why we get up so early in the morning. As a a little boy, age eight, I used to get up early in the morning, milk cows up in Canada in below zero weather. Why? Because we needed that that, uh, uh, that money. (laughs) (laughs) You thought he was going to say milk, didn't you? I wanted him to say milk so badly. I didn't realize you could get We needed that fresh milk. I didn't realize. Yeah. But what he's doing here, um, he's standing in front of, uh, I don't know if it's a projection screen behind him or if this is something that was added after the fact. And there are a series of cartoons that look 
eerily similar to the um, Fallout uh, little cartoons. If you've ever played the video game, sort <laughs> oh, of looked the like that. Guys. Yeah, 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 yeah. The little the little Pip Boy guy uh, sort of looks similar to that, and he's gonna. Keep- he keeps moving around the stage because I think he can see himself and see them behind him. And he's blocking most of them because this is not a well set up situation. And he's, he doesn't understand where to stand on stage and where to speak and how this make this whole situation work is not great. And it's really, really I love, great. I love hearing these guys that are so conservative, but they're like, well, we need to have the freedom to buy and the freedom to sell. Except yeah. for these certain things that we're against because you can't possibly pay for sex. You can't possibly buy drugs. You can't you can't buy liquor yeah. on Sundays here in Utah unless you go to the unless you want cheap beer. You know, That's you can't even get wine on, on weekends, man. Yep. Yep. Just a nightmare. Some cheese and the milk and so forth. I tell you. That's mighty important. All right, now I want you to just go back now. See, here's a little fellow. Um, let's see if I can get over here where you can see him now. So he's moving around he's the stage so he's not That's blocking this <laughs> cartoon. What do you think he's going to do? I'd like to find out, okay? Let's see what he's going to do. Freedom to try. Um, okay, he goes down and he buys some stuff. Oh, my goodness. Now, over in a communist country, you have to be very careful because they have deployment of material. You have to get somebody to sign up that it's all right for you to buy it. And over here, you can buy anything you want to. Nobody says, uh, what are you going to use it for? Legitimate, generally, just buy whatever you want. All right, What's Benedict. Does this do not drugs. remind you so much? It's <laughs> true. Does this not remind you so much of our guy who spent five minutes explaining reinventing the wheel to us? Yep. There's something about these people. They yep. all go down that same road. It's so crazy. But also, the, the one thing that I noticed when I watched this the first mm-hmm. time is that all these people. Uh, they have this mystique built up about them, right? Because this is, people talk about them in a way that makes them seem mythical and intelligent and, and like they have some great insight. And then you listen to them talk and they're just bumblefucks. They're just <laughs> bumblefucks stumbling their way through an absolutely ineloquent presentation of dumb bullshit. That's all these people are. What's it going to no do? Ca- gonna no do charisma it? at all. None, oh, none whatsoever. Gonna, oh, lemonade stand, huh? Ah, goodness, in the middle of the summer, 25 cents a glass. Boy, is he going to make some money. Yeah, I think that's going to be a big success. That's just great. And uh, he is a success, so he has the freedom to sell, you see. He's doing just fine until, look what happens. Oh my goodness! What's happening? I just I, I, I really I, like I'm loving the image of the no 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 just let, let me let me go for a second I'm I'm loving the image of like him visualizing like the Stalinist secret police going around and stomping on some <laughs> lemonade stands and like yes. I, <laughs> I mean like they don't but, like but, they sell lemonade in the Soviet Union. <laughs> the image that really is great and which I recommend people to go watch this for is him realizing he's standing in front of the entirety of the image that he's trying to talk about so that no one who's watching this video will have a fucking clue what he's talking about and then moving left and right and it's still not working because the image is just directly behind him and is taking up the entire screen and he can't get out of the way. I, if you want to watch this video, watch it for that. It's so wonderful. We'll and just being another- a father... Being a father who does the lemonade stands for his kids every year, mm-hmm. uh, you do have to have state buy off on this because I am not moving that goddamn stand unless <laughs> you, unless I have it in writing and I know it's gonna it's something I have to do, and it's always a loss. It's never a gain, you know. Oh, absolutely, I'm sure. <laughs> look at look at that dude over there, man. You see what he's got over there? You see what's, what's happened here? He's got a machine over there. Nobody has to even tend it. Oh, look at all those flavors. Look at all those delicious flavors. Look at that price. Man, Who built that machine? Sense. There's well, a dude standing. The cartoon is of a guy standing next to a vending machine with a 10-cent sign on it. Because the other guy, his lemonade was 25 cents. This guy, it's 10 cents. And that means yeah, our 25-cent friend, he's going to fail. Right. Now, is our friend out of business? Yeah. He Clearly, they've never been to Brooklyn where they're charging $17 for lemonade. <laughs> they might get some different flavors. Gotta All I got to say is artisanal back. pickles, man. Jesus Christ. <laughs> See what it does? Freedom to try, buy, sell. Or See what it does? Freedom to try, buy, sell, or fail. That's what it's all about. That's their image of intellectual discussion and rigorous debate is, is this bumblefuck there's no bullshit. rigor to this at all there's no, no rigor there's just nothing to this it's like well would you want the cheap lemonade <laughs> or would you want the expensive lemonade well obviously i want the cheap because i'm about saving money 
bitch, I want the lemonade that's got the most sugar in it and actually has lemon <laughs> juice, you know? Well, and that's the thing is like all of these books, uh, these people in particular, <laughs> um, and I, like I said, I own three of Skousen's books and so many of them, two of them, I think, two <laughs> of the ones that I have are just like a procession of points uh, because the 5,000-year leap is those 28 points and then I think yep. The Naked Communist is another one that's just like, here's all the points. And it proceeds in that same fashion. And it's all this intellectual laziness. And just like that lemonade metaphor he was trying to give there and stumbling his way through, these things only work if you simplify them to the absolute utmost degree possible and remove any sense of reality or how the world actually works. Right? He didn't talk about, oh, how did this guy get the money to buy his fucking wood from the hardware store to build the lemonade stand? And how's it, how, how's it influence that? The fact that he's an obvious white man in the suburbs who probably grew up and got an education, most stuff paid for by his parents. And then this guy comes on with his vending machine. How did he get the vending machine there? Yeah, where did the capital come vending... from the fucking machine? <laughs> what fucking car dropped it off on the publicly paid for roads? It's just... <laughs> removing any sense of nuance whatsoever is the only way any of these stupid dumb fuck uh i wouldn't i, I don't know how where well Skousen obviously falls on the libertarian end of the spectrum economically <laughs> right he's there with the the austrian school and all those people that we've talked about but it's just the only way to make this work is to uh, destroy the real world and create a fantasy one in which your examples can exist it's the only way any of this shit ever actually fucking works but that is Leon, our friend. How, how are the how are those uh, contracts going to work themselves out without an intermediary like a court? Hey, how, what yeah, about? how are your <laughs> NFTs going to protect your property rights when I can screenshot them? You fucking <laughs> assholes. NF, I swear to God, M NFTs are the prankster gods version of showing libertarians <laughs> how wrong they were. That's what NFTs really are. But that, that <laughs> is the story for the most part, of our friend W. Cleon Skousen. And I think we're going to do some of his books, some portions of them in the future, maybe as patron-only content. We'll see how it goes. But this is the man who has influenced, I cannot, I cannot tell you how much of modern political discourse because the John Birch Society is back. And it came back big, first with the Tea Party, through Glenn Beck and his influence, and now it has just taken over, and it is the modern mainstream right discourse. Well, Screaming I would argue about with you everything there, being communism is modern right wing discourse. I'd argue with you about the John Birch Society is back. I would say it has never left. As someone who went to gun yes. shows in the early nineties, oh know? yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> and you know, part of what we do here, and part of what I'm setting out, because we're we're sort of in a place where. I have some right. plans for things to talk about is to go through the decades and talk about the big groups in right wing thought. And, you know, we're going to be talking about sovereign citizens. We're going to be talking a little bit about uh, <laughs> sort of the militia movement in the 1980s and 1990s. And all these groups have various levels of connections with all other groups, because, again, there is so much nuance to the world and how everything works. And so we're going to be looking at some of these. But I think the backbone that so many of the, you know, the intellectual hub of all these batshit movements is, for the most part, the John Birch Society and the people who came out of that movement. Am I not on a delay anymore? Can you hear I me? I don't now? know if you're on a delay. Okay. I think, <laughs> I think I'm good. So I'm back. Yes. Okay. <laughs> now at the end of the episode, I have some thoughts. That guy is a dumb <laughs> motherfucker. No one should ever listen to that high squeak. And I say this as a fellow high squeaky voiced man. At least I can have gravitas when I want to. That motherfucker, nobody should ever listen to him. He doesn't even know about lemonade. Why should you listen to him about capitalism? Shut up. Motherfucker can't make a glass of lemonade. Exactly. Yeah. Artisanal shit wins the day every day if it's priced correctly. Cheap shit doesn't always win, dumbass. Okay. Also, NFTs, you're right. Fuck NFTs. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's it. I, For the okay, listeners I, there who who haven't been privy to all the parts I've edited out about how uh, Benedict has had internet issues this whole episode and has been lagging. Great way to do our hundredth episode, by the way. Um, <laughs> yep. that, that's him trying to catch up here at the end. I I thought people might miss me, so here I am at the end. Hi everyone. <laughs> I thought people might think I was drunk again on a group episode. But that's not what happened. Here. <laughs> it this would be a thing to do for the hundredth episode. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, I would have been. Never mind. But guys, that's our boy W. Cleon Skousen. Um, thank you all. Thank you all for being here. Thank you all for listening. 
We hope you enjoyed the show. Remember, if you just can't get enough of us, you can go over to patreon.com forward slash NYGBC and become a patron for as little as $2 an episode for patron-only episodes, shout-outs on the show, early releases, and more. And X, before we sign off, uh, yeah. you want to rec- tell people where to find your stuff? Oh, man, you can find us on uh, YouTube. That is uh, Utah Outcasts Official is where you can find us there because we have an archive of, like, 2,000 clips that I put out there, <laughs> but I wanted to differentiate the two, so we now go by that one. You can find us every Saturday on Twitch. That's Utah Outcasts on Twitch, and uh, I'd say go to utahoutcasts.com, but that's not where you find it. But we're, wherever podcasts are, we put out a, at least three episodes a week, so... Too Feel free to join episodes, us there. Man, so. too many. As, so someone who, as someone who has ep- podcasted for five years and has done all the editing, I don't well, know how you do that. I don't well, know how you do that. It's about a two-hour episode, two episode on Mondays, which is the <laughs> new one that comes out. And then we have a, uh, let's see, we have a Wednesday show, which is just a re- rebroadcast of a year-old live stream that we did. And on Fridays, we have the declassified patron shows that we put out there. So gotcha. I've got tons of content for patrons out <laughs> yes. there. So. <laughs> yes. Well, anyways, thank you all, of course, for listening. We have to give a shout-out to our wonderful and amazing patrons, including our newest patron, Pause. Thank you very much, Pause. Followed by Brent Lee, David Garrido, Dave Barwick, Charles Trulier, Dodd Snow, Chris Palmer, Bad Bible Stitches, Ellie Bartlett, Lisa, Tarn Somerville Fletcher, Benjamin Carlisle, Dexter, Allison, C. David, Megan Ruth, Glowrung the Deceiver, Big Easy Blasphemy, Becky Scott Fairley, Stephen and Cindy Dimmick, A.J. Brantley, Taro Takanen, Skeptical Seventh, and Balls Waterson, and George Soros. Thank you all, as always, for being our patrons. That's it for this week's show. Till next time, remember, make sure to keep it as weird as you can. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thanks, everyone. podcast is a production of kevin and benedict productions copyright 2020 all rights reserved music for this podcast is by silverman sound studios find out more at silvermansound.com